off top, the highest rated Super Bowl ever. Super Bowl 49, the Malcolm Butler interception. Most watched. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show. My good friend Charlie Kravitz is at home in D.C. with his stinky booty in my chair, which is unacceptable. At least he does not have my mug. And we are also joined by my friend and yours, name dropper extraordinaire, stat me down captain, Kevin Clark. What's up, buddy? What's going on? I'm excited. This is There's so much NFL news, buddy. Is there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had set up a rundown. We're going to do NFL exit interviews for the conference championship losers, the Lions and the Ravens. And wouldn't you know it? We got news that didn't blow up our rundown. It made our rundown better. The Lions, they're keeping offensive genius Ben Johnson, who was rumored to uh, be going to the commanders and he was going to be a steward of my future beloved young quarterback, whether that's Jaden Daniels or Drake May. But the way I want to talk about these exit interviews, I want to break it down into three things. Coaching, and then QB and roster together, because they sort of go hand in hand, and the division, and how that's going to break out for these teams moving forward. So let's start with the Lions. The Lions had a really tough loss to end the season. But Dan Campbell had some pretty interesting quotes. He said it's going to be twice as hard next year. This could be their only shot. The target's on their back. He was pretty direct about it. He was sort of the anti-Giannis Adetokounmpo talking about <laughs> failure. Leave Giannis now it's not this acceptable. This NBA champion Giannis. Then he go for 50 off the hyperextended knee. Get off his back. That's not what I'm... I'm he nah, just nah, said nah. failure is okay. At, you take it at shots at people with perspective. Also, I mean, Patrick Mahomes... He's out here being the kinder, gentler MJ. I mean, I I know your type, Snack. You're the type who believes you got to be an to win. And you got to be angry. Nothing else matters more than winning. And Patrick Mahomes is disproving it. It's making you mad. And also, you really like Dan Campbell being crazy aggressive, man, because you think that it's consistent with the only way possible to win. We're going to argue about this once we get to the Joel Embiid topic mm. at the end of the show. Until then, we're going to talk about football in a logical and practical manner. The dumb word. The, the snack dumb word. The snack yeah, does. Well, right, Dominique so, is a Sour Patch Kid right now. I, um, I'm let's, sour then sweet. I'm about to sweeten y'all with this hot take that I'm going to give you. It's actually not a hot take. So I, I agree with Dan Campbell's position. Uh, and I think like his head coach was always head coach and understands that he is talking to his players. And yeah. The there's no laurels to rest on. Their division is going to get tougher. So I will respect the snacks construct. And you want to start with the Lions. Uh, I was saying I'm respecting your contract, your construct. How is this dower? I'm sorry that you had to be here for Kevin, for this Kevin. I don't know what's gotten into the snack, why he's feeling insecure. I'm the child child of divorced parents. I know how to just sit back and just sort of let you guys work this out. Talk about dower, man. Now it's a sullen. Uh, Kevin Clark, a dour Dominique, and a giggly snack. I'm not selling. You're selling. You start talking about your divorced parents, it gets sad. It gets sad in here well, fast. I, it's the, what? Oh, man. Let's, okay, we're let's talk coaching. We're off track. Let's talk coaching because the Lions have apparently have three elite coaches. Dan Campbell is a motivator. Yeah. Ben Johnson is someone who's going to keep the offense intact. And Aaron Glenn, who has made the defense uh, I think considerably Aaron better um, after how bad they were at the start of the season. I, 
I would call him a chicken salad maker is is what if you're going to call Dan Campbell, the motivator and Ben Johnson, the offensive guru, Aaron Glenn made chicken salad out of what he was offered this season. Um, and he's he's once someone else has been interviewed, like there was a chance they could lose both their coordinators, which would be the Eagles experience. And the Ravens also could, too, which we'll talk about later. But uh, it seems that they're definitely going to be keeping Ben Johnson because you said that the Lions keeping him. No, he's keeping the Lions. Uh, he's decided that he didn't want to go to Washington because he's heard about uh, Charlie's fandom. He doesn't want to be associated with that. Keeping the quarterback coach combination together is, I mean, it's paramount, especially when you have a player like Jared Goff, who is probably the most yeah. sensitive player to coaching that we've seen. Like, if you remember, he was yeah. the worst quarterback we had ever seen drafted. What was that thing? Didn't he have like a hard knocks thing where he didn't understand? He said something about where like the, the sun rises. Oh, that's where right. The sun rises. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then he went from that tomfoolery to being one of the better quarterbacks in football with Sean McVay and then not so good. And now it's back up there. Uh, really productive. One of the best quarterbacks in the NFC, at least with Ben Johnson. So I think that bodes well for their run back into the playoffs next year. Uh, presumably if they don't give up the division to uh, the Packers or Caleb and the, and the bears. What do you think, Kevin? Are you ready for this? No, I'm not. Hold on. Let me put my seat back on. I'm ready now. So I was talking to Ben Johnson a couple years ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, Name drop. uh, This is the quickest name drop in the history of the show. All right, go ahead. He name dropped James Cook before the show. (laughs) No, I said we had technical difficulties with James Cook. It's becoming more and more like the – you know how the SNL guys – uh, talk about how Lauren Michaels names drop name drops, and they always joke about how like he was friends with all the serial killers, and like oh you know John Wayne Gacy. Like it's becoming now you can do Mad Libs name drops for me, where it's like oh we just had real bad technical difficulties with James Cook. You can just do the Mad Libs <laughs> yes. for uh, for the name drops. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, so for Ben Johnson, a couple things. Number one is like I think there was a cope that was going around the last couple of days, especially from NFC North teams that were like well. When the Lions lose Ben Johnson, Dan Campbell's gonna be Mike Singletary. Get ready to get ready to learn five and twelve, buddy. And that's not true. First of all, um, Dan Campbell had one of the best three-year builds in modern football. I mean, like it's a yeah. very short list. Sean McVay is on the list. Kyle Shanahan's on the list. Bill Belichick is obviously on the list. Um, to go from the Lions and like the Lions had one playoff win in the modern uh, in, in the Super Bowl era until Dan Campbell showed up. Um, he's a special coach. The Ben Johnson thing. He developed Ben Johnson as a coach. They worked together in Miami. He empowered him, promoted him in Detroit. Ben Johnson told me, um, this is what I was alluding to it a second ago, is that the culture that Dan Campbell built is something that that Ben wants to be a part of. And he says that Dan has built a culture where it's all love, no fear, and that now the expectation – and I've always heard like you rule through expectation, not fear, right? And that's how Dan Campbell does it. And the thing I've heard from from – from Ben Johnson interview was that basically he doesn't, Dan Campbell doesn't have to yell because people love, he loves Dan Campbell so much that he doesn't want to disappoint him. That's his motivation. And I think that there are very few working relationships better than head coach and coordinator. And I think that a lot of people were looking at this, like it was like Kyle Shanahan working for Dan Quinn, just trying to get the next job. No, Ben Johnson loves being there. Now the second part of this is it sounds like he asked for too much money, which I think is great because Dominic, you know, this, like a lot of guys control where they're going by asking for too much money and saying, okay, commanders, okay, Seahawks, if you want me, 
here's what I'll actually take. And it might be $15 million a year. For the Panthers, it might be even more because you don't want to go unless you get generational wealth off of it. This is a, a quality name drop that sets us up to have a different conversation about options and about, uh, I think it's about the culture that they have there and him not necessarily needing to leave it. And that sets him up for success, finding the job that he feels most comfortable with. And yeah, everyone has a price. I'll take your job. Um, if you're going to break me off in a way that I think is commiserate with the job I, that you're asking me to do, I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't blow a spot up, but, uh, I, I will, uh, Shea Serrano name drop. taught me this. No, he's a great guy, but he's also he, a name drop. When, in like 2016, we we're having dinner What's and the when the ringer had first started and, uh, we were talking about how he, you know, obviously the ground shuts down and he's got a bunch of, um, a bunch of options. And he was like, every time somebody would call, I would just ask for a million dollars. And he's like, because I would do it. I would go to these places for a million dollars. And he's like, you just create your own job. And I was like, that's an, you'd create your own dream job. I'm like, that's an amazing piece of advice. It's like, oh, they called me. How about a million dollars? And like, I just always love a piece of advice. That's what Ben Johnson's doing, except instead of random media jobs, it's, uh, it's it's not going to the Seahawks. Quality name drop, unnecessary name drop. You went from a really a good one. name drop to uh, not nah, useless name. It's drop. a great lesson. Was... Kravitz is going to ask for a million dollars next time someone calls him. Where you going? Don't set the price that low. We we create a loving culture around here. No one wants to leave uh, here. Snack. Don't run away. Can I, I can ask a question though about the coordinator thing um, because we've seen these trendy coordinators turn down jobs before like the Josh McDaniels of the world. Yep. And it doesn't always work. And Byron I know which, yeah, Byron Leftwich. I mean, uh, McDaniels is the worst example because now he's turned himself sort of into a joke after he turned down better opportunities and, and returned long enough to just expose himself as what he is. But my question is, was the commander's job really that bad? Like you have new ownership, you might have a new stadium, you have the second pick in the draft. It's not like, the $15 million he asked for from Carolina where you're going to have to coach Bryce, Bryce Young and work for David Tepper. I don't know if the commander's job was that bad. I think there is some uncertainty to the commander's job when there is a new owner. The expectation for a new owner, despite the fact that, that, that um, the owner has experience in the NBA, I think the expectation is there will be some uh, growing pains and there will be also some dabbling. And I think that's one of the things that's more frustrating than anything for a coach is how involved they're going to be. And it seems that the Washington is already settled on their general manager, which is another um, hurdle to climb if you're not comfortable with that general manager. If you're a coach with some amount of leverage or cachet, uh, you see what Jim Harbaugh was able to do is you go there first and then you make the decisions about the things around you because that's going to, no matter how great a coach you are, the uh, the talent acquisition process is going to have as much of an impact with or more of an impact than anything you're going to have in the process. So yeah, I, I don't know whether saying it's a good job or a bad job matters, but having an amount of control, I think, does matter to somebody with as many choices as Ben Johnson. I, I have a question, Dominique. So I'd always heard a couple of people told me this, like there's position coaches who don't want to be coordinators because they're like, you know what? Making mid six figures, my kids are in school and nobody's making fun of them because of the play calls. I got job security. If somebody comes, you know, the next head coach, I'm a great tight ends coach. Or I'm a great linebackers coach. I got a job for life. Is there a type of person? I actually once heard Vic Fangio was a little bit like this. And then he ended up later in life taking the Broncos job. But is there a type of guy who's just like, you know what? I like coming to work. I don't 
I don't really want to be a head coach. Like, is it possible that he just likes coming to work and likes his role? Um, I think it's unlikely because I think most okay. of those guys get to that point. Uh, and most people, I would guess, end up learning that this is their line life. They do not decide, <laughs> you know, like it feels like there right. are guys who never get that look and they're like, oh, I'm a I'm a position coach or I'm a coordinator. I mean, I've made the argument plenty of times, though, that the way that we go about hiring head coaches is based on them being successful at a job that has very little to do with the job right. that they're eventually going to do. So I, I would love that if we ever got to a place where the coordinators got paid as much as they deserve in the same way you're on a roster where a quarterback's going to get paid more than a tackle who may be better than him, but they just are uh, more valuable. So that's a future that we won't get to, but I think, being comfortable where you are is incredibly valuable and his value isn't going to go down necessarily anytime soon, but also it's such an interconnected game. I guess I, I I'm contradicting myself is such an interdependent game that your value can go down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Things yeah, can change can go down. and yeah. he's, his value is incredibly high, but he also had the misfortune of being a free agent coach or being a coveted coach and having maybe his best year as a coordinator the same year where this may have been the m most attractive head coaching market that we've seen uh, in the but history he got the of jobs football. over Rabel and Belichick he got the options over those guys I mean we don't know how this process went we're not sure how exactly it went but I, I mean he got a, a job at least one offer. more offer than them well he didn't get the the offer ahead of the general manager which I think is the key thing in this conversation is being able to control as much of the building as you can and get as much power as you can. Can I ask one line specific thing? Does Ben Johnson staying tangibly change how you think about this team moving forward? Yes. Yes, because it removes the doubt, the biggest doubt, which remember under Anthony Lynn with the play calls, this was a bad team. And I don't think it's all due to uh, the the Ben Johnson, but I think there's some some, some maturity on the roster. I think Penny Sewell's development has been really special. Um, when you consider like he shut out Nick Bosa the other day, even though Nick Bosa had eight pressures on the day, he literally shut him out. Jared Goff getting more comfortable. The middle of the field stuff was obvious. Um, also like it is funny like just tell the next coordinator to just use the middle of the field and things will be fine. Um, I do think there's there's some of that, but um, it it, it removes replacing coordinators is the most overlooked thing. We all thought it was going to be so easy in Philadelphia and it wasn't. And I think that we always just say, all right, well, they'll figure it out. Like the only person who can just kind of remove it, remove folks and, and move on was, was Bill Belichick. Um, and a little bit of Andy Reid is certainly on the offensive side, but even Andy Reid needed to do Spagnola. Like coordinators are extremely important. And so the fact they don't have to go fishing for a new one is massive in the NFC North. Yeah, I'm sure it helps when you have Tom Brady, who is effectively the coordinator, and Bill Belichick is um, effectively the defensive coordinator. You keep that type of uh, continuity there. It's not as much change. Um, their roster is an interesting one going forward mm -hmm. because the strength of their team was their offensive line, and a lot of those guys are going to be available uh, coming up. Go ahead, Charlie. What do you got? Well, yeah, they're going to be available. Also, there have been rumors already that Jared, they're going to make Jared Goff one of the highest paid players in the NFL this offseason. Mm, they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to pay Sewell. They're going to have to pay Hutchinson and they're going to have to pay Amon Ra all within the next two years. And we talked about the quick build, but sustaining that quick build and continuing to get better and build around Goff, I think is, is really interesting of how they build that roster. 
Um, you wouldn't pay Jared Goff. Please expound. I wouldn't pay Jared Goff one of the biggest salaries in the NFL. I understand that that's the market so, rate for okay. a quarterback who this makes is... the NFC Championship game, but I would not. The, the market rate now for a top quarterback, as you're saying, is like $50 million a year. That's too much for Jared Goff. So this is an interesting question. Let's say, let's do a hypothetical conversation. Jared Goff won't accept anything less. So you play this year out with Jared Goff and then go into the franchise wars, or which then also inhibits your ability to to build your team because the cap hit is larger than you would like it to be uh, unless you give him a long-term contract. So like, I guess what it comes down to me in this conversation that we have this often, and I'm normally more cautious. I'm like, hey, you got a guy that you like, you pay him what it costs to pay him. So would you have it in you to go ahead and experience life post-golf in the Hendon Hooker future or someone else? I don't think Hendon Hooker is the guy. I think that... I think that – so first of all, like Brad Holmes came from Los Angeles. Yes. And what happened in Los Angeles? The cap was fake and they just went all in all the time. I would not – there's a proof of concept of being able to to balance a lot of superstar salaries. And even like everybody said the Bills were going to come due and the Rams were awesome this year. So like Kevin yeah. Demoff, the team president, wrote a letter being like, uh-oh, lean times. And it was like, ah, whatever. We'll just make the playoffs again and be a sleeper Super Bowl contender. Um and so I, I trust them all to make this work. I am so impressed with everybody in Detroit. Um, I, I unfortunately would probably play, play hardball with Jared Goff. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I guess the, the two things that you said, while they did set the table for the conversation, they're inconsistent with what you were saying. Is like, first you're saying you don't pay Jared Goff. Then you say that it's possible to pay everybody and ignore no, the no, cap. I'm so saying, why I'm would you not the, pay If Jared? anybody can make it work, it's someone from the Rams lineage who understands what that looks like. But I would play hardball with Jared Goff. I would I would be comfortable with the franchise stuff. I mean, obviously, you mentioned two things that does. It hurts cap flexibility, and it hurts you can't use a franchise tag on anybody else, which is a problem um, when you have a bunch of young stars. As you mentioned, Hutchinson, Sewell, those guys are going to be up for contracts in a few years. So I understand that. Not only can um, you not use the tag on them, you can't use the leverage that it gives you in negotiations. Right. The salary cap, the, the franchise tag is the biggest influencing factor in, uh, for, for contracts in sports history. So I do have a, just on, on Goff qualitatively, I think we can all agree that he's gotten better. It can't just be Ben Johnson because we thought it was just Sean McVay. He has to be an improving quarterback. Is there a point where his success would make it so you're like, yeah, pay that guy? Or do you think that Jared Goff and guys of his ilk, the mid-level starters, high, like low-tier franchise guys, are those people that you in general are opposed to paying? Yeah, I I pay him. Like we've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Is I wouldn't. I'm not surprised that anybody in my position on that is I, I pay him as soon as possible. Once I know that they're the guy, I just don't have the faith that you're gonna find someone else. And I would try my but best they, they to figure had... out as, elsewhere. So and he the... made twenty. He made twenty five million dollars in cash this year. The, the issue is in the NFL. There's no system set up for a what I would call middle class star quarterback. And yeah. this happens all the time when the quarter, when the, when the market becomes mature in a position, there's a huge gap in salary. Like I remember right. 2016 or 2017, the year Ryan Fitzpatrick came back with the jets and he signed that contract. And there was something wild where like, he was the only quarterback making between like seven and $20 million. Like there wasn't, a, there weren't like a, the $11 million quarterback didn't exist. Now that now is like 26, 27, $28 million. Um, there's no real version of that being signed 
now. Um, that contract boom where it was like Derek Carr was the highest paid, the Matthew Stafford, that whole wave um, reset that market. And now the Burrow and Herberts of the world, who are significantly better quarterbacks, are resetting the market there. Um, Mahomes will get more money if he hasn't already. Um, uh, you know, the Watson contract did its own thing. So I think you need to start saying, okay, we're comfortable giving you a bunch of money, but it's looking more like 38 than it is 48. I mean, okay. I mean that that to me. Okay, this we we'll get bogged down good. on this because that, that to bog. me just seems. I mean, that to me seems like wishful thinking. You can try it, by all means, go right ahead and try it. But uh, and then you're you're going to end up franchising him, and that reduces your flexibility, and inevitably get to the point where he leaves. Which Washington is the last team that tried to play hardball with their like mid tier quarterback, and he went to Minnesota. So a couple things. One, I I think that. I'm with Kevin that paying someone who's like a mid-tier quarterback top tier money is something that can be like incredibly handicapping of the ceiling of your team. Even the Washington Kirk Cousins thing, it's like, yeah, you know, pat yourself on the back because you had a ceiling of being 10 and six every year, but that's about it. You, you don't have the guy you can elevate your team. But also if they didn't view Jared Goff this way, which apparently they do because they're going to pay him, they blew a golden opportunity. They could have drafted Anthony Richardson and sat him for a year behind Jared Goff. And that's someone who we've only seen I played two and a half games, but looked pretty good in those. And that would have been something where you have the guy in the rookie contract. You have it lining up with the fact that you're going to have to pay your stars. And you have someone who, in theory, is a massive ceiling raiser. Yeah, that's fine. So the goal is to win a championship. If you have, uh, there are ways to win a championship with one of these mid-tier quarterbacks. There is not a way to win a championship with a bad quarterback. Finding a mid-tier quarterback is Difficult. Finding a superstar quarterback that you think warrants the money is almost impossible. This is where we get where the conversation gets confusing to me because I agree with you. I would pay as little as I possibly could for a great player. But if they're going to hold firm and require the payment, you guys are advocating for playing a lottery in a way because, okay, you get a mid-tier quarterback, you have to pay him too much money or what you think is too much money. Then it is incumbent on you as Brad Holmes and his staff to draft really well and and have success, uh, like high-value, low-price success at other positions. If you let them leave and you end up with a bad quarterback, there is not a way to win a championship. There is no draft that you can execute. There is no player acquisition process that you can execute that will be good enough for you to win a championship. So if the goal is to win a championship, you either need a great guy or you need a good guy. Letting good guys walk out the door and hoping you find another good guy for a lower price to me seems like an unlikely strategy for success. What, what would you do with Tua Tagovailoa? I mean, this is the same conversation. I got a quarterback. That's what I'm saying. I'm, yeah, I'm saying like, I, I pay my quarterbacks. Here's I mean, what you do. Here, no, no. Here, here's what you do. If I'm if I'm a GM of these teams, I bring my coach in. I bring my play caller in. In in Miami, the same spot. I close the door. I get all the recording devices out of the room, and I say, "How many guys can you do this with?" Okay. Yeah. How so many guys can you do this with? And if the answer is, I can do it with uh, the 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 bat with Drew Locke, and obviously I'm being facetious here, but like if that's the answer, then that's your answer. Like By I all just, means. if Mike McDaniel says to a tag of Iloa, or if Ben Johnson says Jared Goff is a savant at running my offense, you pay him top of the market. If he says anything else, you start the scale sliding from there. No, I'm with you. But the question is, what's the actual answer? Not the answer they're going to give you the actual answer. We don't see it happening a bunch of times in the league. Like it's not a thing. We have one coordinator 
And that man's name is Kyle Shanahan, who we've seen be able to elevate bad quarterbacks to at least mediocre and mediocre quarterbacks to good and take great quarterbacks and also make them good. That is Kyle Shanahan. That is what he is capable of doing. I have not well, seen it duplicated elsewhere. If you think that it can, and maybe you're saying that Mike, you think Mike McDaniel is that version, but he doesn't have the track record to prove it. So go ahead, by all means, take it, an opportunity or take this chance with your own career based on the opinion of someone whose ego is enormous and thinks they can do it all over and over again and believes that it's not the quarterback, it's them. Y'all uh, all get your fired. Dominique, Are you, I, do have to, I gotta ask you one question. Because I, I'm looking at the quarterbacks who have won the Super Bowl for the last 10, 10 years. You said it's possible to win with the mid, mid-tier quarterback. And it's Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Nick Foles being the outlier because he got to play against Matt Patricia, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. You really can't win okay. without a good so- quarterback. And we can talk about all of those quarterback runs and how they got there. We can talk about the teams that they went against. Were they okay? Are we going to do this? Are we going to have the dumbed down version of the conversation where you where you include you included that version of Peyton Manning in this conversation? That man was a liability. So stop it. And like the teams that had an opportunity to compete on the other side matter too. Like they weren't completely dominated. You can win a Super Bowl that way. The last Super Bowl that Tom Brady won, he was okay. That playoff oh, run, he was mediocre. Like let's be serious. They did not win because Tom Brady was Hall of Fame version of Tom Brady. The same is true of Russell Wilson. They won because that team was incredible around them. So we can be honest about this conversation and say that. And then we also have to consider that the teams on the other side like San Francisco they could have won with Jimmy Garoppolo they were very close I'm saying that it is a reasonable thing to say but that you can get a Super Bowl championship with these huh which they didn't because of him oh gosh he overthrew okay, the so, guy in the fourth quarter Kevin Kevin are we I'm okay Charlie that's what we're doing no. you guys both so this okay. is my belief structure I think you need so, a good no, quarterback genuine, to win a Super Bowl if oh, you hot genuinely take. believe you genuinely believe that you cannot win a Super Bowl no, without you, one you, of these. No, you can't because the Peyton Manning team or the Russell Wilson team are historically great defenses. You're right. If you hit the lottery and you have a historically great defense that can completely take over a game that can change what you need from the quarterback position. I I uh I can stop trolling on that. That's a fact. Yeah, so that's all my only point is yes, we all would rather have Patrick Mahomes or a quarterback close to that level. You're not finding him. <laughs> like that's just not a reasonable strategy. That's a reasonable strategy. If you plan to own the team for 50 years, because maybe you'll come across one at some point. If you want to ha- keep your job as a head coach or general manager, you're wasting your damn time. Do the best with what you got, pay him, and uh, structure an offense around what he does well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a different strategy is to ask for $15 million a year to be head coach, get it. And then it doesn't matter if you get fired. <laughs> Well, I think that some of these people actually also want to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um. By the way, worth noting that the Lions do not have an all all historically great defense like those other teams no. did. So that really changes the calculus on the. Uh, uh, I do want to ask why, you before that's why you we go move, for it on fourth down. Yeah, exactly. Put it away. Yeah, I do want to ask you. Yeah, I yelled at people about, all morning on Get Up about that. But anyway, go ahead. About the division, really quick. Where do you? Th- okay. This was a very fortunate year for the Lions in the NFC North, not because they weren't the best team, but because it took the Packers and Jordan Love however many weeks to start getting rolling, and then he looked like a world-beater quarterback by the end of the season, minus that last pass. The Bears were doing a really interesting 
rebuild process teardown type of thing where they had where they have picks and they're a year away from having Caleb Williams and Justin Fields was hurt and they weren't that competitive and Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles. Where do you think the Lions fall in the NFC North pecking order next year? Still at the top? No, I mean not clearly at the top. Uh, I think we'll have to see what happens in the free agency and what happens in the draft. If they get, I think right now they're mocked to get my man Cooper DeGene, other side of the corner. If they get Coop, then we're looking at <laughs> maybe a Super Bowl championship. But short of Coop, I think they're in some trouble. Yeah, I think this division's going to be competitive. So it's not going to be the runaway that it felt like for much of this season, especially the way Jordan Love elevated um, and, and the way that the Bears improved towards the end of the season, even before they added the potential of Caleb. So the first of all, the, Dan Campbell was correct in saying we might never get back here because the biggest cope of all time is, hey, this team's young. They'll be back. The football graveyard is full of teams that had one shot and they didn't get back there. And you think about the NFC, the NFC is only going to get better. The, the team with the fewest, I'd say, questions about their trajectory is Green Bay because they're extremely young. Mm-hmm. They have the quarterback. Um, I mean, like Minnesota, who's even going to play quarterback for the next year? I love Kevin O'Connell, um, but who's I, I just don't know what's going to happen. And if it is Kirk Cousins, how is he recovering from injury? What does that look like? Um, what does their roster look like? They've they've missed on a couple of uh, they've not had you know vintage draft classes the last few years. Um, and then the Bears, Bears is Bears, uh, as we say in football. And so it's those three teams are intriguing to me. If I had to handicap it right now, as as Dominic said, let's see what the draft, let's see for the free agency. I'd go Packers winning close in that division i'm talking like week 18 and then the lions being a wild card yeah i feel the same way about that uh yeah and it's also like largely predicated on that quarterback position which huh. matters huh. a little bit huh what's weird. weird huh no it's, it's nice very weird it's very talent. weird how not, um, not a mediocre one that you're paying up a high high mid-level starter that you're paying all the money in the world so you're back to trolling, huh? Uh, That's not trolling. I'm just saying. You didn't jump on Jordan. Kevin when he said, when he seemed to say that he loves Kevin O'Connell, but it really matters who's going to be playing quarterback for them after saying that your coordinator might be able to do it with a bunch of other players. Okay. No, Jordan Love's cap exactly hit next year is uh, $12 million. So he's a, mm-hmm. there's a middle-class quarterback for him. Yeah. I think yeah, they're going to extend down. him pretty soon too. I really, I, I really think this Dak com- or this uh, golf conversation was a proxy for Dak, but I digress. We'll move no, on. No, Dak is so much better than Jared Goff. Yeah, he is. It's not a proxy for any conversation. It's a general conversation about how to win a championship, and you guys want to roll the dice in a way that you wouldn't actually do if you had to sit in a room and make these decisions. It's when dishonest see- by both of you. When people see the Dak contract numbers, the final numbers, because oh, he could be upset for agency. The morning shows on ESPN. Dominique is gonna have to work. They're gonna have to be working in shifts. They're gonna have to like do like eight hours at a time when the DAC oh. contract actually finally rolls in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest 
with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DF. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Um, should we talk about the Ravens real quick? Sure. Let's go, let's go sure. to the Ravens. Okay. I think we can agree that this was a disappointing outcome for a team that I still think was the best team in the NFL this year. Um, like, Jesus Christ. I really do. They um, and they have an MVP. They have an MVP quarterback. They had awesome coordinators. They have awesome coaching. Um, let's start with the quarterback on this one, the quarterback in the roster. Um, Cause the Ravens brought in Todd Munkin. They've used a ton of draft capital on pass catchers with say flowers, Bateman, Andrews likely. It seems like their strategy, which was effective for most of the season was to bring in skill players to elevate the passing game. And Lamar's superpower has always been to elevate the running game. That went out the window in the game against the Chiefs where they were playing from behind and they felt like they were pressing. So is there something you would change about this Ravens roster or offense moving forward? Or how do you expect it to look next year as they reinvest in different positions or the guys they have? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely wouldn't change anything about that unless, and to take a page out of the um, Belichick book, unless there is an opportunity, if unless there is yeah. something available to change. Like that's the good thing about this team; it's a really well built team that um, you always want to be able to take draft um, from a position of or draft the best available, not from position of need. And offensively, they don't seem to be in any dire need. I know the guards could be 
uh, end up being replaced. But the real question for me is what they're going to do on the other side of the ball. I don't think they're going to bring back Queen. They might bring back Matabike, but those seem like more impactful things because part of the reason why Lamar was MVP and Lamar is so special is I think there's a, a floor of the offense that you're not going to fall below as long as Lamar is your quarterback. How high the ceiling is may be determined by the other things that you add, but it does often feel like he, I think Zay was kind of special, but the offense goes as he goes. Like it's not a whole bunch of like getting it to somebody else. It's not a lot of screen passes that let him work. It's Lamar making the difference in decision-making. Yeah. So there's a couple questions about the roster. Also the coordinator thing, does Mike mm -hmm. McDonald come back? He was yeah. so influential in everything that they did. Is Todd Munkin going to have a sensical game plan next year? Like that was it. Lamar was bad. Todd Munkin was worse. And that was the frustrating thing is that they've got eight months to just be like, was it the talent? Was it a talent gap? Was it Lamar being worse than Mahomes, or was it six carries to running backs? Was it, um, no quick game stuff when against Houston, they thrived against that against the blitz. Um, if I were to do a blame pie right now, Munkin would be number one. Lamar would be number two. And so that's a frustrating thing to me is the roster was good. The defense was good. The coordinators were good. It's not like Mahomes put up 50 here um, or even 30. This was about their game plan. And it felt to me, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reading too much into it. It felt like on Sunday they were trying to set up a Lamar masterclass instead of just scoring 20 points like it felt to me like they were they were trying to have a historic game and i said that on tv the other day and people were saying that it felt like the ravens tried to do that a couple times where it was like all right we've got this great plan for lamar well it wasn't working so let's do something else and they didn't have a second pitch and that was, was so frustrating about the season i think ravens fans will feel the same way yeah i mean i guess i think that could have been part of it but also it just felt like there were plays there to be made that Lamar had trouble making. Also, like there were open receivers that he missed. There were times when, and this has been a issue with Lamar's entire career to me, at least even back to Louisville were times where you just want him to tuck and run. And he's never yeah. been that type of guy, but when they're running these slow developing deep routes and the, yeah. the zone droppers are getting a bunch of depth, just like go ahead and get eight quick yards and slide down or five yards and slide down and force them underneath coverage to, to address it and that opens the deep windows because with the super tight windows like that's not Lamar's strength it's not going to be Drew Brees level accuracy yep I, I agree I, like Mahomes is a far more decisive runner and that that makes a huge difference on a on a drive to drive basis yeah but we're not gonna litigate that debacle mm. I mean we can but no, no I do want to ask you about that sounds like we just did yeah I want to ask you about uh we we, we mentioned briefly McDonald if McDonald leaves, do you think the defense will take a big step back? Because this defense was really, really, really good this year. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I think it's likely to assume that replacing the coordinator won't be easy, but I think it's also the talent that we mentioned it's going to be leaving that's going to be hard to replace. Uh, I think Clowney's up, too. Like, there's a, a significant portion of this defense. I think the Queen and Smith combo is that, being the end of that is going to be a, a challenge. I think that's one of the things that had them so successful against all these Shanahan disciple schemes is that they had two linebackers and a safety that you could not exploit in the middle of the field. When you go down to one linebacker and a safety that you can't exploit in the middle of the field, it's going to um, 
be a challenge, I think, for them to continue to play this this well. And so the the coach leaving is going to matter if he does ma- if he does leave, but also the players. Hey, Foxworth, I have a question. Um, yes, Clark. Having been a defensive backs coach, what is the level of involvement with John Harbaugh on that defense? Um, I wasn't the coach; I played, but uh, the level. No, 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 no. John Harbaugh was a defensive backs coach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. And... I wasn't accusing you of having been the Ravens defensive backs coach. <laughs> he, Harbaugh was a DB coach before he got to the Ravens. He was a special teams coach, but he was a DB coach I know, before then he that. was a DB right, coach. Yeah, yeah. He was also a defensive backs coach right. in college. So uh, he was not super involved. He'd come in our meeting room sometimes, and he didn't seem to particularly – and maybe things have changed, but he didn't seem to have the depth of understanding of the of the scheme that – you would have expected it from someone like Ed that. Reed. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Doing great boys. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I just remember well clearly us talking about um, our cover four rules and, and he would come in and he felt differently about the cover four rules than the rules that we had been coached up until that point. So, and he wasn't, he wasn't super involved. He just came in every now and then he wasn't heavily involved in that part of the game plan, but that's probably changed. That was his second year, second and third year as a coach. And he's been through a few coordinators since then. I think he's probably become more involved, I would guess, in uh, the game planning than in the day-to-day operations than he was then. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I'll ask somebody and then get back to you. My buddy Denard Wilson is coach there now. He was safety on my college team. I'll ask him. He's interviewing places. Yeah, he's getting a lot of love. I hope he gets the job. Um, Last thing on the Ravens. Let's talk division. Like the Lions... This division worked out very fortuitously for the Ravens this year. Joe Burrow was out for most of the season. Uh, Deshaun Watson was out for most of the season, and they, you know, that Browns defense, which was excellent, couldn't be carried by PJ Walker and DTR until it was too late. And they brought in Flacco, turned into a pumpkin, and then Pittsburgh was was fraudulent. Where do you see the Ravens in the in the AFC North next season? Yeah, I don't think their division is nearly as formidable as. Um, the Lions division is for the Lions going forward. The Bengals obviously getting Joe Burrow back, but a, a fully healthy Joe Burrow is something we've never completely seen. So that's a that's not something we can completely guarantee. And they have roster construction issues that they're not easy answers for um, right now. The Steelers still don't have a quarterback, and um, the Browns still can't get right. So like it, it, any one of these teams could potentially rise up and become a problem for the Ravens, but I still see them as a cut above everyone in their division. As long as Cincinnati is able to bring back T. Higgins and Joe Burrow is healthy, they're going to be really good. And we have seen him fully healthy. He made the Super Bowl um, and almost won the Super Bowl. And I think Lou Anarumo staying is massive. He didn't really – like we were talking earlier about guys who just lose the hype. Where was the Lou Anarumo hype? There was so much last year. I thought he was going to get the Arizona job and then just nothing this year. Um, he's really good. He wins a lot. They win a lot of games they shouldn't on defense. Um, so I think that's the biggest threat. I mean, the problem is, is that with this question is like, you said that the, the, this, the NFC North is more formidable than, than this is for the Ravens because the Ravens are a better team than the lions. So like, it's going to be easier for them to fend off, you know, Deshaun Watson led Cleveland or Arthur Smith and the OC improving the, the Steelers. Like they're good, buddy. The only real, um, the only real threat they have is if Burrow is fully healthy, if T. Higgins comes back in the franchise tag, and, and the Bengals relate themselves. That's that's a legit threat, but there's a lot of ifs in that in that scenario. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you on all those points, but 
I still think they're better. Like I, I, the Bengals could beat them, but if I we look at the roster top to bottom, and including the coaching staff, I think the Ravens are are like actually better. Whereas I don't know that that's true for the the Lions in their division. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm getting tired being right. Let's talk about basketball. Maybe I'll be wrong about that, Charlie. Oh, baby. Oh, you ready to talk about? Okay, that's that's great. Before I give uh any any Bengals takes, it'll just piss off Ravens fans. Um. <laughs> guys, let's, let's talk about Joel Embiid. Sure. Dominique's guy, Joel Embiid. The MVP from last year. The guy who can go out and score 70. The guy who campaigned for the MVP and said this year he doesn't care about the MVP. The guy who was afraid to play against Nikola Jokic in Denver because he didn't want Jokic to put it on his head. He is probably not going to play 65 games this year, which is the minimum that is needed in theory to win the MVP, but you can, you can basically apply for an exemption, get voted for. Do you think that Joel Embiid should be considered for the MVP if he plays fewer than 65 games this year, knowing that he's averaging 36, 12, and 6? Absolutely think he should be considered, but I disagree with you. I don't think that in the first year of this 65-game rule that they are going to make an exemption. None of the voters will. I don't think the league will. Not in the first year. That sets the entirely wrong precedent is that this rule that they're trying to use to encourage guys to play more doesn't matter at all. So, like, as impressive as Joel Embiid is, and I also think that he's being honest about him saying that he doesn't care because he's at this stage and is what? Why does that make you roll your head? Like, I think he probably did care last year, and I'm sure he would accept it if they gave it to him. But he's at this stage in his career, and it's the same for quarterbacks and superstar NBA players, that the perception of you cannot improve until you win a championship. And Joel Embiid knows that, that he could win another MVP, and that's only going to make the the criticism fall heavier on his head. He has to do it, and june is what it comes down to for him and for a lot of stars that have gotten to that level fox we're talking no we're talking about Embiid, not the ravens and lamar yeah same thing you didn't see the memes you didn't see the memes over the weekend it's the same thing Um, go and throw dak in that conversation too it's all the same thing they're all experiencing the exact same no 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 no, no. don't stop putting dak in conversations he doesn't belong i did i did you put him in earlier these guys are really good at their sport Hey, so I have a um I have an idea for this. So the functional problem is that people are spending lots of money. Kids are flying from like Australia. We've all seen like the signs where it's like, I flew from Australia to see Jimmy Butler and then Jimmy Butler doesn't play, right? So I think it should be like, you know how you can get out like your insurance, you get a speeding ticket, but your insurance won't go up if as long as you take you you like do certain things, right? You should be able to get back games towards MVP. If you do a 30 minute autograph session for kids on the concourse when you opt out. So like in, in Denver on Saturday, um, like the Denver post wrote a story about how this like big Embiid fan was like crying after the game, or whatever, like you should, there should be like a little area. And if you're a kid, you go and you like meet LeBron for 20 minutes and then you get your games back and it just solves everybody's problem. What would you rather do? See, Anthony Davis play if you're like the biggest Anthony Davis fan in the world or like get a selfie with him to put it on Snapchat. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'd rather see him play, but I don't want um, Snapchat selfies, but I, I mean, it's to me, you're trying to, you're doing the same thing that the league does is you're trying to 
solve the problem without actually addressing the problem when the problem is that y'all got too many games. Like, that's the problem. Uh, no, ma- no matter what you try to do, whether you put an in-season tournament or you try to um, legislate the players to play more, the problem is the games don't matter. Like, uh, some of them don't matter. It's the fundamental issue with this is, and we add to it with the way that we talk about these guys. What? That's the, I that's think the that's, fundamental I think that's, concern. I, I, that's the fundamental concern, but Embiid's taking it to another level. He's played three road games against teams above 500 this season. He's only playing at home or easy road games. And, like, to reward that is, is like, ridiculous. Wait, are you saying he's the Floyd Mayweather of the NBA? I don't even... He only, he only fights when it's advantageous for him? I don't even know what the, what the Embiid comp is because he... I mean, he didn't deserve the MVP that he won last year. And it was like a very bizarre thing. And this year he is clearly, he's having the best season in the NBA this year. This is the first time he sort of deserves the MVP, but to disregard, like you said, Dominique, to disregard the rule that they put in place this year because the guy's having a historically great season when we know. I don't think they will. Yeah. But we also know, like we know that the NBA MVP award is much more sacred than it is in other sports. It's sort of a representation of the best guy. And we sort of know after last year in the postseason that, even with these numbers, Embiid's not the best guy, and so, just so like, if you if this is a if this is an Embiid problem, then we can't solve it by uh, any sort of rules that you're talking about. If it's a league wide problem, I think the problem is in the ownership's greed, not in and I guess the players' greed too, because it affects it impacts the salary cap, how much revenue they make, and we gotta stop pretending like there's some artful solution to a problem that is about the uh, the value of the games that's what it comes down to like if we are going to say that the games in the playoffs are hugely valuable and all these games leading up to the players are less valuable and get less and less valuable as home field advantage seems irrelevant then we can't be surprised when guys respond rationally to that incentive structure and there's not going to be a way i mean i guess you could change the financial compensation drastically but the players aren't going to agree to that it's hard to to change incentive structure when it's so obviously ingrained beyond the incentive structure dominique like can you imagine if like i guess it's different because there are fewer games in the nfl but just from like a competitive nature if like ed reed was like i don't want to play against tom brady and peyton manning in a given year yeah and Embiid didn't it's say just, that you're saying you're implying on. this based on he, the impl- decision he made. implied that yeah he did not being on the okay, injury report that's fine no I, no but i mean like, i get that there, there no, are spe- I, specificities you. you can talk around but don't you think it's just like incredibly no, lame the way you. that this has come out like i am continue with you. to happen i'm with you but i guess where we're different is i i have a hard time blaming someone who is acting rationally given the way that the things are constructed and not saying that the system itself is broken like that to me seems like we're we're um like blaming the symptoms for the overall uh, situation. And maybe some players, and I think you're right, some players would ignore all of that and go out and play every game and do all these things. Those are the guys you want. However, it's not just every game. It's like playing against Jokic. He hasn't, he'll only play against Jokic at home. He hasn't played in Denver since 2019. But this to me sounds like you got an issue with Embiid. So stop trying to make That's it about exactly. the MVP. I know, no, like, sounds, I think Charlie Harden, will tell you that. Yeah, Embiid, Harden, these guys who, who sort of are like regular season compilers for the award when it's like, that's not what this should be. Okay, I'll fight him then, Charlie. I don't know how to fix the problem then. Like, what, what do you want me well to do, me. man? <laughs> yeah, I got your back, Charlie. I would not let them jump you. I would scream really loud for some help. Anyway, thank you, Charlie, for being here to push my buttons and make me angry. Uh, that's a very valuable skill that you have. And um, 
Kevin, thanks for dropping names. I appreciate you. Thanks, Podville, for letting us use the studio and appreciate all our producers, Megan Serafina, Brian, Kevin, and Cortez. We're out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.